Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Futurati Podcast, where we dive into how emerging technologies will impact the world and your bank account. I'm Trent Fowler, and my co-host Thomas Fry and I are futurists, keynote speakers, and consultants with decades of experience in analyzing trends and communicating new developments to audiences across the world. Reach out to us at futuratipodcast.com slash contact dash Futurati if you'd like to hire us for consulting, to speak at your event, or to advertise on our podcast. So I just finished up an outstanding conversation conversation with Rob Hayesfield. Rob has become a staple in the Tools for Thought community. You can find him on Twitter, uh, various websites, which we talk about throughout the interview. I, I won't enumerate them all here. Uh, discussing Tools for Thought, discussing tools like Obsidian or Notion, Rome, Bear, Tana, and the various ways in which they can facilitate new age, next generation workflows, how they can allow groups to uh, do things and, and coordinate in ways that simply aren't possible with something like Google Drive or Airflow and uh, talking about the future of this space. So Rob has been on my radar for quite some time. I've followed his work on scaling synthesis, which he did with Joel Chan, who was a, uh, a podcast guest a little while back. And he's got a lot of fascinating insights into behavioral economics, gamification, interface design, tools for thought, and uh, scaling synthesis. So I followed his work for a long time. I, I have wanted to have this conversation for a while. We finally got him on the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you have any questions or any insights or any criticisms, feel free to reach out. So without any further ado, this is episode 114 with Rob Hastier. Tonight, we're joined by Rob Hayesfield. Rob is a behavioral strategist and gamification designer who rose to prominence with his popular Rome Tours video series, in which he would talk to different users of Rome research about how they use tools for thought to manage their workflows and generate insights. Today, he thinks about issues in knowledge management, interface design, and collaborative synthesis. If you enjoyed this interview, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. And don't forget to check out our website, futuripodcast.com. Rob, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm, ex I'm excited to be here. Let's hear a little bit about your background, your interests, and what brought you to working on the problems that you're working on today. Yeah, sure. Um, background is I started out studying behavioral economics in college, uh, graduated, wanted to keep working in the space, but figured that technology was the best place to apply behavioral science. Uh, and I figured that I could continue to learn about behavioral science by just like reading papers on my own and uh, working with products to actually like apply the insights and see them in action. Uh, so I was doing that for a few years and all throughout the process, I was using tools for thought, you know, especially like these hypertext tools, right? Like it started out, I was using Notion and then I used Bear and then I used Notion again. Uh, then I switched to Rome, was using that for like a year and a quarter, then switched to Obsidian for like a year uh, and a half. And then now I'm at Tana, but like as an employee, um, right, right. Work, working on building specifically in this space. But like really, you know, when I was uh, when I was consulting, it was just that uh, I would be working on like multiple projects at once. I would be taking in information from many different sources, uh, like including papers, meetings, um, user interviews, uh, all, all of the above Twitter, <laughs> right? And right. 
these hypertext graph-based tools really like helped me make sense of everything and uh, continue to learn from it. So um, that that's kind of how I got into tools for thought. But I've just been very passionate about this space. I'm really passionate about like uh, making it so the software that I'm using can help me do my work better uh, and help other people do their work better. And so I'm very grateful to now be working with uh, working with Tana. Fantastic. I want to I want to talk about Tana um, later on in the interview, but it's it's pretty fascinating that you were in behavioral economics and then you, you think a lot about interface design, gamification. You think about you know how to synthesize ideas or how to draw people towards conclusions, and then at the same time you're sort of a practitioner in the space because you're using all these things sort of at the same time. So it, it's interesting how all of that came together for you. Yeah. Yeah. It it it, it all was very beautiful in how it came together. I mean, my perspective is generally that uh, our environment has some influence on our behavior yeah. uh, and that environment can be intentionally designed. Uh, software is intentionally designed. And so therefore you can influence user behavior. And so when we take that into like tools for thought, you get some very interesting implications, right? Like that you can influence users to do things that promote different styles of thinking or alternatively facilitate styles of thinking that people were already accustomed to, so. Yeah, absolutely. So tools for thought, it's one of these phrases that kind of gets bandied around a lot in certain parts of Twitter. And I, I think everybody has sort of an intuitive understanding of what it means. And of course, it's sort of in the phrase, it's like a tool for thinking. But I mean, could you unpack that a little bit? I mean, you're in the space, you've been in it for a long time. Uh, you're sort of well known. So do you have a definition of it? Like what separates a tool for thought from just something like pen and paper? I mean, arguably almost anything would be a tool for thought technically. So like why, why use this concept to distinguish one set of like graph-based note-taking tools? Yeah. Yeah. I think tools for thought expand your, expand and enhance your ability to think on your own. Right. So at least for me personally, if I am going on a walk and I'm just thinking in my head, then a lot of times I don't really feel like I have that much control over my thoughts. I, I might go in loops. Uh, yeah. I might just like notice various things on the walk and like, that's all good. Right. But that's not necessarily like directed thinking. Mm -hmm. I feel that I need to write if I'm going to like think uh, in a directed way, in an intentional way. And so tools for thought will help you do that. I think pen and paper really truly is a tool for thought. Putting a bunch of sticky notes on your wall is a tool for thought. Um, I think that graph-based software is especially powerful, especially if it's, it's like block-based, right? Like if, mm -hmm. if, if it lets you have these very specific nodes um, for, to, to latch onto, reason being that it can massively enhance your ability to think about many things at once and to develop your thinking over time as compared to the baseline of just letting it happen in your head naturally, right? Um, so when I, like when I started using Rome, right, uh, one of the things that made me realize was that I could work on my projects in small little chunks. I could let my random thoughts that came here and there, I could just write those down 
And then at the point where I was writing a deliverable for a client project, um, that would be the point where I could like bring things all together. And so even though I never spent an hour or like three hours, just like pen and paper, like focused on a specific problem, banging my head against it until I got to something, uh, I had made a lot of forward progress uh, mm -hmm. because this software gave me the ability to compose my thoughts over time. So it's like it reduces the friction of the thought gathering process instead of it being a, a, a bigger lift, right? You can bite it off in little chunks and then sort of take care of it all at once later on when it's context appropriate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's many, many ways that graph-based software can enhance your thinking capabilities. Um, on top of that. Well, tell me a little of, bit about that. Yeah, tell, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, one of the ways it can do that is by making it easier for you to remember things, right? So if you tend to remember things in an associative way, right? Like, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, it was similar to that one concept that I've been learning about. Uh, and I think that this other person was talking about it too. Like in a graph-based software, you can traverse the connections from either that person or the concept, and you might end up getting back to the thing that was on the tip of your tongue. There's like more pathways to it, right? You, you right. create this like rich branching interconnected structure and there's lots of ways to find it, to like unearth it serendipitously. You, you don't have to remember it raw. You can remember lots of little clues and it sort of has a way of unearthing because the, the graph is connected. Right, because there's many different ways that you can uncover information and there's many ways that our software design can influence that, right? So like if you're in something, if, if the most advanced note-taking software you've ever had uh, lets you have folders nested within folders, right? That might be, feel really cool to you. Like at, at the beginning, when I, was, when I first started exploring beyond Apple Notes, I thought that that was a requirement for me and that that was like the coolest thing ever. But then what I ended up finding once I had systems like that was, uh, oh, I would create a bunch of nested folders and then it'd be like, oh, wait, which folder goes which where? Um, which folder did I put the note in? Um, and when you have those sorts of issues, it can just be, uh, it can be challenging to find something. You might as well just remember the thing on your own. Right. <laughs> Have you tried just remembering it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, well, I find this whole thing very fascinating because I've long thought that truly brilliant people often, sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's a matter of software. They just seem to get there faster, but they also seem to have a different way of sort of using their attention. Like I've noticed uh, Ramanujan or somebody like uh, 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 Josh Waitzkin, the, the chess prodigy, like they, they just seem to sink into things in a way that I can't manage in the same way. Elon Musk is another good example. He like, he famously would get so focused on problems as a child that they thought he had an auditory disability because he because he would just zone out for like hours at a time like he can't hear but he was just focusing on something in his head and i've long thought that if there was some way 
to use software or techniques to at least approximate that somewhat, you'd, you'd get a lot more out of just your baseline, you know, relatively more normal software than otherwise would be possible. And, you know, it's somewhat different because we're talking about, you know, associative memory and connections. We're not talking about focusing so much, but it's like if there was a way to build software such that it was just more natural to think the way truly intelligent people do, then we'd all effectively, you know, get a 15 point IQ boost, which is one standard deviation. That's not trivial. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, that that really is the goal, right? Like, imagine how much uh, better off the world would be if everybody were five percent more effective thinkers, right? Um, or even one percent. Like, how much that that would compound? I, I know that I know that a common critique of this space is like, ah, you're making a note taking app. What difference? Uh, you know, like you're not going to solve the world's greatest problems, but like at the same time. The people solving the world's greatest problems often will need tools for enhancing their thinking capabilities beyond just what is possible within their own heads, right? So if you can really do that, and, and one of the things that I think is really cool about Tana uh, is that it's not just geared towards individuals, it's geared right. towards teams as well and groups of people. So if we can help groups of people think more effectively together. Like who are these groups of people? They are uh, business teams, they are government teams. They, you know, like these are people that are solving real problems. And yeah, so yeah. I think enabling groups of people to think together really is like the next frontier of this space. Now you preempted one of my questions. I was going to ask you what the next frontier of the space is. But before we get there, before we get there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want to, so I do want to talk about uh, the collaborative abilities of Tana, but I want to start sort of more broadly and discuss yeah. scaling synthesis a bit. So can you tell us a bit about that project? I remember when I, when I saw that, uh, I just, I, I ignored my kids for the next like two or three hours when that came out. I, I forget what it was. I, I think that there was, there was something going on. Like we had people over and I'm just sitting over in the chair, just like going through this notebook, you know, <laughs> like my, my fiance is like, why don't you engage with people? And I was like, I can't, this notebook just dropped. Like I'm, I'm filled with ideas. Uh, I like sent it to the, the chief of the, the vice president of operations at the last company I was at. Uh, and I was like, we should do all our documentation this way. My God, think of what it makes possible. So I was super excited about it. Could you tell us a little bit about that project and yeah. I guess where it's at? Because I haven't checked in a while. Sure, sure. Scaling synthesis is, um, that, uh, that was a research project that I did alongside Joel Chan and uh, Brendan Langan. And it was uh, funded by the Graph Foundation. And what it was generally about was how to design software to scale synthesis, right? Like either to large quantities of information or large quantities of people. Um, yeah, so what we did was we reviewed the literature in the space. We combined our expertise and research on many different software tools that are attempting to help people scale their synthesis and uh, talked to around 30 expert users of these sorts of software products, as well as like 10 or so um, builders that are kind of within the next generation of these tools. And really, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was the general background of it. And then 
I don't think I could do a good job of really explaining what it, what it looked like. And so, so I mean, t- tell tell me what you were able to do with that that you and Joel and and whoever else like could not have just done on a Zoom call and a whiteboard. Like like, what did you get out of that that that's worth all the fuss? Mm-hmm. What we did was we put together a hypertext notebook that. Uh, differentiated between multiple different types of notes. So we have claims in there, questions. Um, we have source notes. We have ideas. Uh, the ideas are sort of like claims about like if something should be implemented, <laughs> right? And we tried to just build out a map of the space, right? Or like a condensed map of the space because because it's so broad and expansive, the possibilities, like this was exploratory research, Um, so broad and expansive, but at the same time, many builders are asking the same questions or alternatively would benefit from asking the same questions that we asked and exploring our subset of the map and engaging with that subset effectively and asking themselves like, okay, how might we incorporate this into our product? Uh, do I agree with this claim? Does it apply to my users? Um, what uh, questions are, are there? So like some of the key questions we were asking. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. You- so I, I wanted to get into that a little bit because you could do that in a Google Drive, right? So what is it that, or like Google Docs? So, so like, what is it that makes it special, the, the hypertext structure? Can you just, I mean, do you have an example? And I mean, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit and if you can't, that's okay. But like, is there something where you had an insight or there was like a fluidity of an exchange where it's like that could not have been done in Facebook Messenger. That could not have been done uh, sending text messages. Like that was something that came out of the interface that was enabled by the tool we were using. Well, I think that one of the, I think that one advantage of trying to compress your thoughts into a framework like claims, questions, and evidence and ideas, right, is that it's compression. If you're just in a group chat or you're talking with some people over the course of, like if we had done all of these user interviews and uh, discussed them with each other and done it over um, like one long Google doc (laughs) or something, um, then I think it would have been hard to make sense of it because there was simply so much information. Um, compression is a really core part of synthesis because it allows you to compose information more effectively. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we, we came out with some key questions around like, what are, well, we'll get back to that. Uh, going back to the format again, too, is the format is a little polarizing, right? Because uh, not everybody is used to reading hypertext, like something that goes full in on hypertext versus like a long narrative document, right? Because right. if you read a paper, you can read it top to bottom and be like, okay, I've engaged with all of the ideas in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... and uh, whereas with this, I mean, we've got over like 300, 400 or so pages on this website. Yeah. Many of them are small, you know, like a hundred like individual con- Yeah. It's, it's like a concept. It's like a, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause we try to make, uh, things a little bit more atomic, 
right? And so mm -hmm. what that yeah. meant is that we would come to a note like, uh, here's a question, how might we navigate the structure now or later trade-offs? And that question came up because over the course of all of our interviews, we just noticed that a lot of people will intentionally defer structure until later um, or not structure at all. And, and so we wanted to like interrogate the reasons for that. And so we can separate. We have a bunch of small notes that uh, that talk about that, right? Like, so we have a claim that is that specifying context for future reuse is costly. That's because of uh, composing three other claims, which is that context is necessary for knowledge reuse. Like, I have to. What what that generally means is that I have to. Uh, I have to know like the why of an idea in order to mm -hmm. really properly use it. I have to know where it yeah. came from. What, like what, what facts evidence. gave rise to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't just present the idea. Right. And then there's also that if you're going to specify context for future reuse, that requires predicting how you're going to use it in the future, which yes. you don't always know ahead right. of time. And so therefore it's a challenging thing to do um and all of that and so so by doing it in hypertext like i can make that point of context necessary for knowledge reuse and however it's cost uh it's hard to predict how you're going to reuse it and therefore it's costly like like that's something i can do in a paragraph because i just link to the full notes that explain each of those things. So if you need more context on any of those ideas, you can click on them, yeah. you can read those and then come back to it. Uh, but in the future, if you see that I reference some idea that you already understand, then you don't need to go to that page in order to get what I'm talking about. So it ends up being like a very like information dense way of yeah. communicating with people. And so especially if there are others who share context with you, um, like the builders that we're targeting that we wanted to read this research uh, and the users who are like experts and have been trying a whole bunch of different software, a lot of them will have that shared context. And so they'll be able to just like blaze through it and it should trigger ideas of their own. You know, so it's like, I would say that some of the advantages of this hypertext format is that one, it lets us communicate in a very information dense way. Two, it respects the reader's time um, if they already know what I'm talking about. Uh, three, it supports exploratory search. Uh, so that way, if people don't really know what they're looking for, they don't need to like type into a search bar and try to find something that they don't even know the question for. They can just read a page, click, uh, see a link that looks interesting, click on that, see a link, another link that's interesting, click on that you yeah. know, on and on until they find an answer to a question they didn't know they had. Um, and then another main benefit is just that it allows people to sense make on their own. Uh, you know, so this was kind of what I was getting at earlier, where I was saying that you can't really read this top to bottom, but you can engage with each of the individual claims you can engage with each of the questions, ask yourself those questions, 
and then you can come to your own conclusions. And I think that this format supports that better uh, than an alternative. But it's definitely polarizing. Not everybody likes to read like that. So no, no, I get it. Uh, I had that experience as I was going through the scaling synthesis notebook. It was like very exhilarating, but also a little disorienting because I would just click on a thing and it's like, okay, here's a whole new bevy of ideas, you know, and then like I click on one thing, and it's like, my God, there's even more. And it's, it's, uh, I, I can definitely see that there's advantages for certain things, but I still find myself often stuck in the mold of thinking linearly from just kind of top mm -hmm. to bottom. Like, I, I don't think for, for all my use of Rome that I've like really grasped the way in which you sort of change these ideas. And it's, it's something I'm, I'm still sort of working on. I still take fairly linear notes and I, I do use them creatively or like transclude them uh, here and there, which I think is really useful, but I just, I don't know if it's uh, fully clicked for me. Futurati podcast and what you'd like to see done differently. So we've decided to record this commercial and ask you directly to reach out to us. Head over to futuratipodcast.com, go to the contact page and drop us a line. Tell us about your favorite and least favorite episodes, what you'd like to see us cover in the future, and anything else you want us to know. We produce this show for you, and we want your advice so we can make it even better. Thank you. I, uh, there's a couple rabbit holes I'm tempted to go down about like uh, iterative formalization or sure. uh, like successive abstractions. Like I, th I think there's actually a lot of power there in that, and it possibly, like plausibly a team could arrive at a concept in a way that is is new and was not possible before but i think instead i want to talk a little bit about tana because that's what you're doing okay. now and cool. uh, that's really exciting and uh yeah just just tell me tell me tell me what makes it different uh, you guys just came out of stealth mode it's a whole thing now uh, it just nobody will shut up about it so what what makes what makes tana special oh so much so much right um so i started using it seriously in June. Um, and all I was, I was just trying to treat it as my daily driver for a while and get the hang of it. But mm -hmm. I think that like some of the things that it does really well is it combines graph-based outliners with structured data right so you may have heard before about like distinctions between architects gardeners and librarians like that's a something i don't remember who put it out i think it was Anne laura lecomte um i hope i pronounced that right <laughs> but nailed it but she said she described architects are people that try to create like a well thought out structure. They get a lot of pleasure out of something like a mise en place, like everything in its place, um, everything in its flow, uh, can take a little bit of a systems thinking mindset. Gardeners like to organize bottom up uh, and kind of just like let different areas grow and nurture different areas. So this is, Kind of a lot more of this hypertext tradition that you'll see in, you know, like Rome users, Obsidian users, Logseek users, um, and then librarians are people who just like to store and archive things. And I think that Tana let in. in I think Tana supports all of those, <laughs> and and I think that's something that's very hard to do, right? But 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 we're able to do that through a bunch of interesting primitives. 
such as <laughs> uh, such as we give users a graph-based outliner. Um, a distinction is that uh, everything is a node, right? So like many people take notes in outlines already, just a bunch of bullet points indented underneath other bullet points. Right. And we treat that as a data structure going all the way back to the beginning of your workspace, which is just a singular node. It's the first bullet point in your outline. In the beginning was the node. In the beginning was the node. And then the whole thing branches out from there. Uh, there's no distinction between pages and blocks like you might see in other applications like Rome and LogSeq. Um, and so everything is a node. However, you have other ways of signaling that one node is more important than another node, right? Because like in a lot of in a lot of times you would have like pages and blocks as distinction where the pages are more important than the blocks, right? As ideas to reuse. And Donna, everything is a node, right? So how do you do that? So we give we let the users assign tags to nodes. And these tags are our tricky way. Well, we call them super tags because they're a little bit more than tags that you might see in other apps. They're kind of like a type system in programming, right? Where they let you say, like if I tag a note as a claim, then that's a claim type of note. If I tag it as a source note, that's a source, right? Uh, and when you tag something, then will give you a set of fields, right? Like, so you, so you get the ability to set a template that goes along with your tags and that comes with fields. And in those fields, you can like give it metadata, right? So like I could have um, Futurati podcast that would be tagged with podcast and then it would have a field, it would be host. And then that host is Trent Fowler. And then what I can do from there is I can create a table of all of my hosts, or I can create a table of all my podcasts. I can, uh, I can say that this host has a Twitter account. That Twitter account is a field and its value is, uh, I think just Trent Fowler, <laughs> Trent Fowler, right? Um, but but what this what this enables you to do is to create notes in a sort of freeform way, um, like you would in a graph in a, any normal graph based outliner. But when you reference a node, um, like a block reference or a page reference in other apps terms, uh, then you're referencing like a full object, like a thing that has a description to it. You know, so so that's all a lot. That might be a lot of mumbo jumbo. Um, I, I'm talking in terms of features, not in terms of like what people get out of it. But I think what people get out of it is it enables them to model their world more effectively. That's pretty bold claims. Are you enjoying this episode of the Futurati podcast? If so, please like it. 
give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends. By far, the best way to help us grow is to spread the word on social media, which will expose our content to more people and help us continue to bring you interviews with world-leading experts in AI, quantum computing, cryptocurrencies, and so much more. Thank you in advance. Uh, can we... And again, maybe this isn't fair, uh, a fair question, but I mean, could you, could you give me a, an example of a workflow that a team of the future might go through where, where that would matter a lot, where it's, I mean, like, what's well, because I mean, I'm, I'll be starting a new job soon. Like I, I'm always interested in sort of taking these tools for thought. And like, if, if there's any way I can make a team more effective, that sounds great. So like, what's something that we could do with that, that, uh, that would just be really, really hard to do uh, with, with Google drive or, or. You could whatever. have meeting notes right uh, every time you have a meeting coming up together you all take notes under the same node in your outline and you as you're going you might reference you might mark a note as a as a to-do right you might tag it with to-do or you might reference a person right and then at the end of it, you can just have as a part of your meeting template uh, that goes with your meeting tag, a live search that pulls in all of the to-dos that came up during that meeting and all of the people that came up during that meeting. And then like in line, as you're taking your notes in this outline, you could like give a to-do a status. You could say it's to-do doing done, right? Um, and then view all of your to-dos as a Kanban board, right? Uh, the difference between another app, like doing this in Notion, for example, is that like, if you were doing it in Notion, you would probably have uh, a table already made for your tasks. Mm -hmm. And then like during the meeting, you might note down a task and then you'd be like, okay, after this meeting, I need to go in and move all of those tasks into the table. And I'll need to add the date, add the metadata about like who it goes to and um, all that right there. However, in Tana, it's just, you start by writing the data that those nodes can be anywhere in your entire graph. You don't need to think about where to put them, but you create the table of just a search for your to-dos or a search for your to-dos that have come up during meetings, right? Uh, it, it's just kind of, it, it gives you a lot of freedom and flexibility. And, and you could build out those queries so that they're just always kind of running. So no matter who's doing what anywhere, it automatically populates it over so that there's both a decentralized way of doing this and a centralized way of doing it where everybody could go and look and find it. Right. That's, that's really cool. Do you need a dynamic and knowledgeable speaker for an event? Thomas Fry and me, Trent Fowler, are both seasoned keynote speakers able to converse on a wide array of topics to audiences of all sizes and skill levels. Go to the contact page at futuratipodcast.com to book Thomas or myself today and let us apply our years of experience in public speaking to make your event a smashing success. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about what you see the frontiers of the space as being? What, what, what's Tana 202030 look like? Well, maybe not that far, but you, you, you see what I'm getting at. Like, I mean, at, at the limit of it, like with, with the tool of the future, what's that look like? What, what abilities does it give you? 
I think it would give you the ability to model your domain, you know, like whether that is uh, your personal life, your work life, um, your studies, whatever you're interested in. It would allow you to model your domain with minimal effort going into it. Uh, and it would let you answer questions that you didn't know you had at the time when you were writing out your information. How does that work? Um, so this is a this is a big theme that came up in our research because again, as I uh, in the scaling synthesis research, because as I was mentioning earlier, a lot of people will defer structure for later because mm -hmm. they have no idea how to structure it for later because they don't know how they're going to want it later right if you're on a walk and you come up with some random idea and you jot it down you know you don't always know how it's going to be useful in the future <laughs> um and so what we want but like the thing is structure is a really effective way to make sense of your information right so we want to give people the ability to come up with a question later and then create uh, create the visualizations, right? So like in Tana with these live searches, uh, one thing that I'll do, cause I take in a lot of user research, uh, feature requests, bugs, uh, surprises, and, um, we relate those to different features on our feature board. Right. And so like, if we're thinking to ourselves, oh, we want to put some work into dates and date functionality. I can write a search that is just like, find me all features, bugs, and surprises and frictions, and put that into a table for me, and uh, sort it by the importance that I assigned to it at the time, right? If I were doing that in Notion, I would have to like have three separate tables for these bugs, for these uh, feature requests, for these frictions. I'd have to look at each of those individually. Um, I would have to have come up with the structure that I wanted ahead of time. Whereas in Tana, I can just write a search that kind of describes what I'm looking for to spec out a project and, and create a visualization from that, right? So, so the future is going to be in giving people much, much greater power to do that. Because what we do really well with, um, with structured data and with loosely structured data, the distinction that I'm giving here is going to be kind of vague, but like I'll describe structured data as labeled links between two different nodes. Like uh, this feature request is um, related to this other... Hmm, so it's this like what you'd set up in like Neo4j. It's like, this is yeah. a that, you know, okay. Yeah, whereas, uh, whereas unstructured data is just like unlabeled links. Like this relates to that. I don't know how, uh, I'm not gonna just put more effort into describing it further. Uh, but, but it's like people will have so much going on in their work life that they're not going to write down all of the information. They're not going to put all of the context into a feature request when they log it because we're receiving, you know, a dozen feature requests, a dozen bug reports like every single day. 
and everybody has other stuff to do. So they're not going to write down all of that stuff, right? So how can we make more with less? That, that's a big question that we're uh, going to be answering over the years. It's almost like the super tags and the, the metadata fields, it's like you can put these little hooks on the nodes and mm -hmm. you know you, you don't really know when one hook's gonna grab another or how exactly it'll be facing when it does, but they're all just kind of sitting there. And like, whenever it comes time, you can say, okay, all the, all the red hooks connect to each other. And like, let's, let's uh, alternate red and yellow hooks. And you just, you can like assemble these little structures. It's almost like you've got these little nanobots, these like epistemic mm -hmm. conceptual nanobots that, you know, with just a little live search or something, you can just get them to kind of assemble. Uh, yeah. Whereas before they was just they were just laid out uh, like the pieces of Tony Stark's suit, you know, wherever it didn't matter. Yeah. But when he needs to, he can summon it, and now it's got this functionality that it didn't happen before. That's not a great metaphor. That was off the top of my head. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it's great. It, it it's really about how do we yeah how do we enable people to make more structure make more valuable visualizations to answer their questions in the future that they didn't know they had. How, how do we do that with less? But then it's also um, how do we more effectively enable people to converge, right? Super tags that come with a template that, that can be filled in every single time a node is tagged with that. That's one way that multiple people can converge and work together in a graph-based setting. That's the reason why like something, the lack of structured data is the reason why, you know, Notion works better for teams than Rome does, right? Um, and it's also the reason Tana works better for teams than, uh, than Rome does or Obsidian does or like, like any of these graph-based tools right now, they're not good at that. Uh, we're pretty good at that. Um, but but we need to enable more ways that people can converge on that information because they're only going to get a larger and a larger graph. So how do we make how do we enable them to compress that so that way it's more useful for their future selves? That's fantastic. So you know where where can we send people to learn more about your work or about you or about Tana? Yeah. Um, well, you can go to tana.inc. Uh, T-A-N-A dot I-N-C. Um, and there you can sign up for our wait list. Uh, we've, we're trying to clear it as fast as we can. Uh, we, we, we'd really love to clear it fast, but we've been getting a lot of people on there, uh, you know, so, uh, and, and we're trying to make it so, you know, what we learn from our early users will make it so future users have an easier time and that we're able to provide a better experience for those people. You know, so we're clearing it as fast as we can, but you can like go there, sign up uh, for the wait list. There's already a lot of stuff on YouTube at this point. And you can also go, we have a help center, help.tana.inc. Uh, we've made that public now. So you can view a lot of the content that's coming from our team, but also from our community, uh, learn about stuff there. Um, to consume the research, uh, scaling synthesis research, you can go to scalingsynthesis.com. Uh, there's also a YouTube video where I gave a presentation on the research, which tried to give oh, the link, cool. which, uh, you know, as I was describing how hypertext is like, it's not something you can go top to bottom and consume everything, you know, like this talk you can. <laughs> um, so, so you can just look, look that up, 
Scaling Synthesis Tools for Thought Rocks on YouTube, and you'll find that talk. Um, you can also go to my website, robhasefield.com, where I, I haven't updated it much over, uh, over the last year or so, unfortunately. However, it covers a lot of the work that I was doing while I was consulting and while I was working for a startup studio called Sparkwave. And you can see a lot of my thoughts on behavioral design, on gamification, on continuous onboarding and the challenges that horizontal products like Tana and Notion face, um, and how you can approach onboarding people, not just up front, but continuously. So that way they can always grow in their ability to use the app in better and better ways. So you can go to my website there to consume that line of my research and thinking. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter. I talk a lot there. Uh, Robert Hayesfield, just at. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much. It's a conversation that's been a long time in the making. I'm glad we finally got to do it. And it was really, really good stuff. Yeah, me too. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I love talking about this stuff. Um, I, I hope some people will understand it because uh, <laughs> there's been so much swirling around in my head. Uh, these past couple of weeks because you know like we just came out of stealth right and mm -hmm. we're taking in so much and we're learning so much but uh but yeah so there's been a lot on my mind but it's nice being able to stop talking and reflect a little bit yeah fantastic uh, anytime you want to come back yeah thank you this podcast is a part of the c-suite radio network for more top business podcasts visit c-suiteradio.com